All right, that was good. (laughs) Nice to see the multi-generational band, too, huh? Let's give it up for the band. That was cool. Lucas, I think you you might have been the old guy there. Is that about right, I think? Oh, well. Uh, My name is John Ferguson. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And, you know, I got to say that uh, ancient scene in the garden, you know, that we heard the voiceovers from is all too familiar, isn't it? And contrary to popular belief, these things don't just happen to Taylor Swift. (laughs) You know, I mean, so many of our relationships, don't they? I mean, they begin in paradise, but they end up uh, with bad blood. You know, speaking of bad blood, I can't help myself. I know there are a lot of Sox fans in the room. But can we just celebrate the fact that the Cubs are in the playoffs? You know, you're not going to get that from the other guy named Ferguson that teaches here. You know that. Okay, so I have to bring it when I'm here. And uh, I, I was really looking for a place to put that into the talk, and that was the best I could do. But my question really is this today. You know, what's gone wrong that's kept our relationships from being all they are meant to be? Uh, you know, I, I have the honor of performing wedding ceremonies. As a matter of fact, I just performed a wedding ceremony a couple weeks ago over here at White Eagle Club, and it was that outdoor wedding. It was a beautiful setting. Uh, you know, he was handsome. She was beautiful. You know, they shared vows of love and commitment. He looked deep into her eyes. She looked deep into his. And I love those moments. I really do. I actually had one of those moments uh, 25 years ago. We actually just celebrated our 25th anniversary, and here's what it looked like. Uh, she hasn't changed a bit. You can tell her I said that, please. But you know, after 25 years of marriage, I can say for sure that it's not always like that. It's not always like paradise. Even if you marry someone as kind and generous and loving as my bride, my wife, Lisa. On three, say, aw. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. But you know, today we continue our series, Transform. And this series is all about how God wants to make the best of every area of our life, including our relationships. And so to start off today, I want to get right to the point and ask you a question, okay? You ready? Give me a nod of the head. You ready? I want to ask you a question. Okay, the question is this. What relationship in your life needs to be transformed? What relationship in your life needs to be transformed? What relationship, if you were honest with me and we were able to sit down and maybe actually talk one-on-one, you would say, you know what? This particular relationship just isn't what I hoped or dreamed it would be. It's not God's best right now. I know it's not. Maybe it's a romantic relationship. Uh, maybe it's a relationship with your mom or, or your dad, or, or, or maybe it's a son or a daughter, or maybe it's a, a friend or someone who now you'd probably have to say is more like a former friend. Or, or maybe it's a, a relationship at work. But who comes to mind? What name, what face comes to mind when you think of a relationship that you know it, it needs to be transformed? And, and what has caused the bad blood? What has caused the bad blood? You know, the very first two humans, I think, help us answer that question. And in fact, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we discover the very fears that can fragment any relationship. And these fears, I think, can wreak havoc on romantic relationships. They show up in our friendships. They even come out at work. And these fundamental fears started with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they continue to damage the potential in every one of our relationships. So what are these fears? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The first fear, I think, is the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure, you know, that fear of, you know, exposure, it has a way of keeping us distant from each other, doesn't it? Uh, my 16-year-old daughter, Chloe, and I, we have a fun sort of thing that we like to do. We text close-up pictures of our faces to each other, 
And uh, here's one of my favorites. We, we chose to do this one together. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, these aren't pictures that I would typically show to anyone. You will not find this on my Facebook or Instagram uh, for sure, okay? So I'm kind of giving you a little inside picture to our relationship. Uh, she gave me, per- well, she didn't actually give me permission, but she's not here, so please don't tell her. I would not typically show these to you. Why? Because I don't want you to see the real me. You know, when you get a little bit close, you kind of see the blemishes, the not-so-pretty parts, the ugliness. Some would say you don't really have to get that close. That was supposed to be kind of funny. But, you know, it's true. I mean, letting you kind of see the real me, the actual actual me, can be pretty scary. I don't want you to see my faults. I don't don't want you to see my failures. I don't want you to to know, you know, what, what scares me, what hurts me. I don't really want you to know the real me sometimes. So what do I do? What do we do? What do we do? We hide. And so, you know, we keep each other at a distance because we're afraid that someone will get to know what we already know about ourselves. And what was the first thing that um, Adam and Eve do in the garden when God shows up after they messed up? What did they do? You can answer. What did they do? They hid. Yeah. The Lord God called to the man. Where are you? The Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Now, just to kind of set the record straight, God wasn't really going, I wonder where Adam and Eve are. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. No, he knew where they were. And then Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, think about that phrase, okay? I was naked. I mean, is there anything more terrifying than the thought of being naked in a room of fully clothed people? I mean, how many of you have ever had that dream or that nightmare? Okay, I think all of us have at one time or another, right? I might have had it before, and usually in that dream, I'm in the worst place possible, like standing on this stage in front of all of you. And now that I've brought up this dream that all of us have from time to time, you're going, please don't talk about it anymore. I'm going to have that dream tonight. I apologize in advance. But this is a lot more than about physical nakedness, isn't it? I mean, there's also emotional nakedness. And to be naked means to be exposed. It means to be vulnerable. It means to be defenseless. And the truth is you are never more vulnerable than when you're naked because there's nothing to hide. And so what happens is our fear of letting people see us as we really are causes us to hide. Now, in the story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they hid in the trees, but how do we hide? Well, sometimes we hide behind humor, don't we? Ever hide behind humor? You know, be the funny guy, be the funny girl. You know, keep things kind of light and funny. Nobody will have to really know how you feel, right? Some of us hide behind an image. You know, wear the right clothes, have the right hair, drive the right car, live in the right neighborhood, right? We prop up all these things around us. We think all that right stuff will cover up our insecurities, or at least we hope it does. I think others of us, we hide behind manufactured confidence. You know, be the tough guy. Be the tough girl. Don't let them see a sweat. Don't let them see a cry. Whatever you do, keep up that image, right? I think some of us hide behind social media. I mean, does anybody really think that what you see on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else is really how people actually live and what their life is really like? Of course not. You know, some of us hide behind denial or addictions. And we keep telling ourselves, hey, everything's fine. I'm good. It's good. I'm fine. We're, my, my family, we're good. The kids are fine. Yeah. My marriage, it's all good. And the truth is, as long as we continue to hide, there won't be any transformation in our relationships. And they will never be all they were meant to be. Yeah, fear causes us to hide. So let me ask you, 
What does fear have you hiding from today? What does fear have you hiding from today? Uh, What are you pretending not to know? Uh, What are you acting like isn't a problem when deep down you know it really is? Or what are you in denial about that you know is standing between you and someone you love? You see, our fear of exposure, it keeps us at a distance and it stands in the way of transformation. Well, there's a second fear that destroys the potential in our relationships and it's uh, the fear of disapproval. Yeah, the fear of disapproval. Uh, When I was 16, I had just received my driver's license and I was working the late shift at Burger King. Exciting job. I would drive my mom and dad's 1.8 liter Toyota Corolla to work every day, five-speed manual transmission. It was a speed machine, let me tell you. There was a girl that worked the late shift and she drove a Gran Torino. It was a rocket ship. It was one in the morning and we just closed down Burger King and we, it was after work and we were driving down Western Avenue in Chicago Heights when she challenged me to a race. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I mean, it lasted for like maybe five seconds when in my rearview mirror were multiple sets of red flashing lights coming after me. We both got pulled over. And I mean, I could have been taken in. I could have lost my license. Instead, this incredible police officer was great, gracious to me and only gave me a speeding ticket for going 59 miles per hour in a 35 zone. He said, you know, you were going 65, but you may never get over that one. It could have been so much worse. Oh my goodness. But you know what my greatest fear was in that moment? <laughs> you know what it was. What would my dad think? Oh boy. So I, I, I get home as quick as I can. I walk in the door. My mom's at the bottom of the stairs waiting for me. I had this massively guilty conscience. I immediately tell her what happened. I say, Mom, but please don't tell Dad. Whatever you do, don't tell Dad. (laughs) You know what? She didn't. Or at least she let me think she never did. (laughs) Even to this day, I don't know that my dad really knows that that ever happened. So, shh, don't tell him, okay? (laughs) But we all fear disapproval, don't we? (laughs) Steve's on his phone right now. Thank you. That's really nice. (laughs) But, you know, when God calls Adam and Eve out of hiding, he asks this, okay? God calls Adam and Eve out of hiding. He asks, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put here with me. (laughs) She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Wow. You know what we do when we fear disapproval? We get defensive, don't we? That we start fighting back. You know, we, we stop hiding and we start hurling insults and accusations. We don't just excuse ourselves. No, we accuse others. Anybody else do this or am I the only one? Okay, yeah, guilty as charged, right? And so not only does Adam blame Eve, he blames God. The woman, he says, that you put here, it's her fault. Adam blames his wife, right? Eve blames the snake. The poor snake. I mean, he had nobody to blame. Somebody once asked, uh, how do you spell blame? The answer, be lame. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, it's always nice to have a second service. (laughs) I told Dave that line would not work. You know, I mean, our fear of disapproval, I mean, it does. It makes us defensive, doesn't it? 
And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed the more critical a person is, the more they fear disapproval. The more critical a person is, the more they fear disapproval. And don't just think about that person that you know that's critical. Think about yourself right now. I'll say it again. The more critical a person is, the more they fear disapproval. See, our fear of disapproval keeps us at a distance, and it stands in the way of transformation. Well, there's one more fear that shows up in the garden, and it's the fear of losing control. The fear of losing control. What results from Adam and Eve's sin? What results? They lose control, right? Completely. I mean, they lose control of the garden. They lose control of their circumstances. They lose control of their destiny. And that leads to all sorts of conflict. And when that kind of conflict starts to erupt, we know we're in trouble. You know, God's dream for Adam and Eve and for us was this um, experience, this amazingly close and intimate relationship with him and each other. And he gave us, and he gave them the most incredible place to live out this dream, the Garden of Eden. But when Adam and Eve sinned, I mean, their relationship with God was broken. Their relationship with each other was shattered. Their relationship with creation was never the same. I mean, they had clearly lost control. And we fear losing control, don't we? So what do we do when we fear losing control? I don't know about you, but when I fear losing control, I I just get more demanding in an attempt to regain what? Yeah. I have two teenagers. Uh, Anybody else parent teens or work with teens in some way or another? Niece or nephew, neighbor, you know. Uh, Parenting teens, I think, is the definition of losing control. Uh, The truth is you never really have control in the first place, but you sort of have the illusion of control when they're young because at least they're little and they basically kind of have to do what you tell them to, but then they grow up and they start talking back and have minds of their own, and that leads to all sorts of conflict. And when that conflict starts to erupt in my house and I lose control of the situation, you know what I do? I get really loud and really demanding. Works so well. And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that the more insecure I am about a situation or a relationship, the more I try to get my own way. The more insecure I am about a situation or a relationship, the more I try to get my own way, I try to take control. Anybody else like that? Yeah. Three fundamental fears that destroy the potential in our relationships. Like the song says, I mean, it used to be mad love, but now it's... Now we got bad blood. We started off in the tunnel of love, but somewhere along the way it turned into something like, I think like this. (laughs) (laughs) So do you see how these fears are messing up what God wants for you and the people you love most? Do you see it? Can you see how these fears can wreak havoc on our relationships and, and keep us from experiencing the transformation that God wants for all of us? So hear me on this, okay? Hear me on this. There is only one antidote to these fears. There is only one way to transform your relationships. And it's God's love. It's God's love in Jesus. And I know some of you be thinking, okay, that's way too easy. <laughs> you got to do better than that, John. <laughs> uh, let me read you something, okay? This is from John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers. He wrote these words, okay? We want to transform our relationships. We want to overcome these fears. So what? We rely on the love God has for us. God is love. God's not like love. God embodies love. He is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There is no fear 
in that kind of love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so here's the important truth that we've got to take a hold of today. It's this. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. His perfect love drives out fear. Would you repeat that after me? Okay, let's kind of take that one phrase at a time. Ready? I'm going to say it, then you say it. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. His perfect love drives out fear. And see, God's love drives out my fear of exposure because God already knows everything about me. He can drive out that fear of exposure because he already knows all about me. He knows my hopes and my failures, our mistakes, our hidden longings. He knows how many hairs are on our head. And for some of us, the number of hairs that used to be on our head. (laughs) And you know what? Despite knowing every last detail about you, God still loves you. Actually, he's crazy about you deeply, completely, eternally. We've said this before, but it's still true. If God has a wallet, your picture is in it. If he has a refrigerator, your artwork is all over it. God's love drives out my fear of being exposed because God already knows everything about me anyway. All right, say it after me. Wherever God's love is. There is no fear. His perfect love drives out fear. You know, his fear also drives out any fear of disapproval because God accepts me unconditionally. The Apostle Paul, a guy who had every reason to think God would disapprove of him, said this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know, when when Jesus went to the cross, he stood face to face with the worst of the worst in us. He knew all we would do. He knew all the good and the bad stuff that we would do to try to, you know, fulfill our unmet longings. None of that altered his love for us in the least bit. God loves us as we are and not as we should be, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've run. When we come back to him, what we find is a loving father running to embrace us in his love all over again. God accepts us. We are accepted by him. Repeat it after me again, okay? Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. His perfect love drives out fear. You know, finally, God's love drives out my fear of losing control. And it's because his love is ultimately secure. I don't have to be in complete control of everything. His love is completely in control. His love is completely secure. You know, life is so uncertain, isn't it? You know, like I said, my wife, Lisa, and I, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary with a trip to Italy. We've been saving up, and we had an incredible time. And we were touring like crazy. We were up and at them early, going all day. And it was like day seven, and we decided we were going to take the next day. We we're going to sleep in. Uh, you're feeling really sorry for me, right? Touring all over Italy really hard. And so, uh, you know, we're thinking, okay, let's kind of take it easy next. Let's not tour too much. Let's kind of rest a little bit. And at 7 a.m., the next morning, I get a text from my son, Graham. And it read like this, Dad, I need to talk to you. Everyone is okay, but I totaled our Honda Pilot. Yeah, there's a beautiful picture of what was formerly known as our vehicle. (laughs) Well, I quickly called him. It was 11.30 p.m. in Chicago. He was at the corner of LaSalle in Washington, in the loop, after Lollapalooza. Everyone was okay, thankfully. But my morning of relaxation and rest in Rome turned into a series of phone calls and FaceTimes with insurance companies and auto body shops. But the truth is, I mean, you just don't know what life's going to bring, do you? We do not have control. 
But you know what? There is one thing that we can bank on, even in the midst of life's most uncertain times. And it's the love of God in Jesus. And again, the Apostle Paul, I mean, who had every reason under the sun to think that he wasn't worthy of God's love. I mean, his life before he chose to follow Jesus, he killed Christ's followers. And yet he wrote these words. We know and rely, excuse me, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, I mean, here's a guy whose life before he became a follower of Jesus included, you know, killing the very people that he became a part of. And yet he could say this, nothing could separate me from God's love. So I just got to ask you, what are you thinking could possibly separate you from God's love? See, that kind of love drives out fear. And here's the good news. You're loved like that. You're loved like that. Perfectly loved, deeply loved, eternally loved. Okay, well, let's say it together, okay? Don't wait for me. Let's all say it together. Ready? Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. His perfect love drives out fear. Yeah, see, God's love is the antidote to the fears that damage and destroy our relationships. And so if we want to see our relationships transformed, what do we got to do? Well, first, we got to accept God's love. We got to accept God's love. Remember last week we talked about how, um, you know, the further you get away from God, the more you conform, Right? The further you get away from God, the more you conform. But the closer you get to God, the more you what? You, right. Folks, the further we get away from God, the more fear is going to fill our hearts. But the closer we get to God, the more his love is going to fill our hearts and give us what we need to extend that to the people we care about most. We got to accept that love. And once we accept God's love, then we can extend it to others. See, Jesus said, this new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Doesn't sound like an option. Doesn't sound like a suggestion. We're called, as Christ followers, to love people the way Christ loves. That's how we bring God's love into a relationship. Uh, This week, community uh, felt the tragic death of a beautiful young person. And uh, it reminded me of another girl who was a part of our community several years ago. Some of you know uh, Jeff and Janet uh, Gilbert. And it was a number of years ago their teenage daughter, Lindley, was killed in an auto accident. And as preparations were made for, for that funeral, I learned something about Jeff and his relationship with his daughter that has just continued to inspire me uh, to this day. Jeff said that about every day he would get up early to be with Lynn before school, and one of the things he would like to do is pack her lunch. And when he packed her lunch every, every day, he would write a little note, maybe a poem or a verse, or sometimes he said it was just a little smiley face, but nonetheless, he would put something in her lunch, uh, kiss her goodbye, and send her off to school. Well, in preparing for Lynn's memorial service, the family went through some of her belongings in her room, and as they did, um, you know what they found? And they found all those notes from her dad. The ones he'd written every morning, put in her lunch before she left for school. 
She'd saved just about every single one of those. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Jeff about this yesterday, and uh, I didn't know this, but he said one day she came home, and she said, Daddy, are you mad at me? And he said, no, honey, why would you think I'm mad? He said, well, you, you didn't put a note in my lunch, and every day all the girls at school say, what did your dad like today? Lynn passed away on a Monday evening, and the last time Jeff saw his little girl was Monday morning. He packed her lunch, including a note, gave her a kiss, and said goodbye. And you know, Jeff is an imperfect guy, but well done, Jeff. He's an imperfect guy who's accepted God's love, been transformed, um, and in his own way was able to extend that love to the people that he cares about most. You know, and I don't know about you, but man, I want to. I want to live my life in such a way that my last interaction with my wife or my daughter or my friends is even the simplest, smallest extension of God's love through me to them. How about you? So let me ask you again. I mean, think about that person in your life with whom you know there is a growing distance. Who is it that came to mind when I asked you earlier what relationship needs to be transformed? Who is that for you? And what might happen if you chose to accept God's unconditional, all-knowing, completely secure and eternal love and then let him extend that love to that person through you? Would that transform your relationship? I believe it would. Let's pray. Father God, God, we know that so many relationships, they begin like paradise and they end up with bad blood. And and God, we know that we aren't capable on our own to fix it, even though we try and want to. So God, we thank you for your all-knowing love that, man, we don't have to be afraid of being found out because you already know everything about us. God, we're grateful for your unconditional love that, I mean, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've we've run, you embrace us as a loving father. God, we also, we're just grateful for your, the security that your love brings. That, you know, when life seems so out of control, that's the one thing we can bank on eternally, forever, consistently, relentlessly, you love us. God, help us to accept that love and extend it to those we care about most. We pray this in your name. Amen.